Almighty God, thank you for another opportunity to study from your word and to grow and to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus. I pray, Father, that we will respect your text, that we will take heed to the warnings that are found in it, that we will grow, Father, and understand more and more that as Christians, this world is not our home. We are just pilgrims on this planet, and our true citizenship is in heaven. Bless us, Father, with that mentality and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse number 36, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the, in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would, not have, been, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household, to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves, and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will, be, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this video right here marks the conclusion of a three-part series that we have done on one of the most difficult and certainly one of the most controversial chapters in the whole New Testament, and that is Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. In our daily Bible reading plan at the Monte Vista Church of Christ, tomorrow on Thursday of this week, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read Matthew chapter 25 on Friday. And unfortunately, Matthew 24 is a chapter that is often abused by false teachers today. So often, unfortunately, false teachers go to Matthew chapter 24 and they promote the idea that the signs that Jesus lists in that chapter or the signs that God gives us or God announces that will precede the end of the world and the second personal return of Jesus. 
So often false teachers say that the signs in Matthew 24 are signs that will precede the personal return of Jesus and the end of the world. But over the past couple of classes, we learned that that, that is not the case. Over the past couple of classes, as we've studied Matthew 24, we've learned by studying carefully the context that these signs Jesus lists here in this chapter are not signs that will precede his second coming. Instead, they are signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jewish nation. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, Jesus says that some of the signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD would be false Christ and wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations and kingdom against kingdoms and earthquakes and famines in various places and the persecution of Christians and the betrayal of, of brethren against one another and false prophets popping up all over the place, but despite these very difficult times, the gospel, God providentially would make sure that the gospel was preached in all the world. My dear friends, Jesus says that these would be the signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation. This is what Jesus is talking about in the majority of Matthew chapter 24. But in this particular video and our last video on this chapter, we want to transition and we want to talk about the Lord's personal second coming. We want to talk in this video about the personal second coming of Jesus. And as I've already mentioned several times, in previous videos, the reason why I hold the position that some of Matthew 24 is talking about the personal second coming of Jesus is because remember, remember I pointed out how I am convinced that in Matthew 24 and verse number three, the apostles are, are actually asking two separate questions. After Jesus announces the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24 and verse number two, the first question the apostles seem to ask Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse number three is the question of when will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed? When will the city of Jerusalem be destroyed? That's the first question the apostles seem to ask, and Jesus takes the time to answer that question in verses 4 through 34 of that chapter. But, but the second question the apostles ask is the question of when will be the sign of his coming in the end of the world or the end of the age? With this second question, I don't believe the apostles are referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, but instead I think they're asking about the second, the second coming of Jesus, the personal return of Jesus. I believe they're asking that question in Matthew 24 and verse number 3, because when you get to verse number 36 of the chapter, it appears that Jesus 
transitions from, from talking about, he transitions from talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jewish nation to talking about a totally different event. In Matthew 24 and verse number 36, after talking about those days and describing the destruction of Jerusalem, he then transitions in verse number 36 and he says, but of that day and hour, not those days, but of that day, of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Notice how unlike what you find in verses 4 through 34 of Matthew 24, where Jesus lists several warning signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and would give the disciples a heads up that that destruction was about to take place, unlike what you find in that section of the chapter. When you get to verse number 36 of Matthew 24, Jesus describes the second coming as that day, as that hour, as an event that the angels don't know when it's going to occur, and he doesn't even know when it's going to occur, but only the Father knows. Only the Father knows when the Son is going to personally return. We looked last class at the, the contrasts that are found in the chapter pertaining to the destruction of Jerusalem and the personal return of Jesus. Prior to verse number 36, the time could be known. There would be famine and pestilence and wars prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. He gives the parable of the fig tree, and he talks about how how when a fig tree begins to bring forth leaves, that is a sign that the summer is near. He describes the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem as those days, and that event would be a local event. It would be a judgment from God that would be upon the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Those are the things that Jesus talks about before verse 36, but after verse 36, unlike the time being known with the destruction of Jerusalem, the second coming is going to take place in a time that is unknown. It is a time that only the Father knows. There won't be famine and pestilence and wars as signs that will precede the second coming, but Jesus describes it as, as a situation where there's going to be peace and normality. It's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It won't be like a fig tree where you can get a feel that the event is near. No, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And it's not described as those days. Instead, it's described as that day and that hour. And the second coming of Jesus won't just be a local event. Instead, it's going to be a universal event. It's going to impact the whole world. The point of all of that is, brothers and sisters, that the second coming of Jesus is going to be very different. It's going to be very different than the event of the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to be different in time. It's going to be different in scope. It's going to be different in the kind of judgment that will be rendered. For example, as far as the time goes, Jesus says 
that unlike the destruction of Jerusalem, when he comes again, there are not going to be any warning signs that will precede it. There are not going to be any signs that will precede his second coming. Instead, it's going to be sudden and unexpected. He says it's going to be like the days of Noah. Matthew 24 and verse number 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand till the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice how, how Jesus says that when he comes again, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be eating, they're going to be drinking, they're going to be marrying and, and being given in marriage. It's going to be peace and normality, but then suddenly he will return and many people are going to be caught off guard. Many people are going to be unprepared for the return of Jesus. That is how it was when the flood came upon the people in the days of Noah. And Jesus says that's exactly how it's going to be when he comes again. It's going to be like the days of Noah. It won't be any signs. It won't be any warnings or a heads up given to the people prior to the event. In fact, Jesus will continue emphasizing this in verses 42 through 44 when he describes the second coming as being like a thief in the night. He says it's going to be like a thief breaking into someone's home at night. The Apostle Paul uses the same language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. There, as Paul talks about the return of Jesus Christ, he uses the same language as Jesus. He, he describes it like being as an event being like a thief in the night. It's going to be like a thief in the night. For those of you who've had your home broken into before. If you've had your home broken into before and you have possessions stolen out of your home, let me ask you something. Did the thief give you a heads up before he broke into your home? Did he give you signs to look for so that you would know that he was about to break into your home, that he's sending you a text message or a Facebook message, or even give you a phone call, write you a letter indicating to you that around this time he was going to break into your home. Did that happen to you before the thief entered your home? Of course not. Of course not. You and I both know that no thief, no thief, gives his victims a heads up before he enters into their home. He doesn't send text messages or tweets or Facebook messages to his victims to let, him, to let them know that he's about to enter into their home. He doesn't do that because, as Jesus says in verse number 30, 43, that if he, if he lets you know before he's about to break into your home, then you will have a chance to prepare yourself. Then you'll have a chance to arm yourself and ensure that he doesn't steal your possessions. No thief prepares his victims prior to, to him breaking into their home. He doesn't want them to know when he's about to come. He wants them to be caught off guard. 
He wants to make sure that they're unprepared. He knows that that's the only way he has a chance at success. That's how a thief operates. He doesn't give a heads up prior to doing what he's going to do. And Jesus says that's how his, that's how his return is going to be. While the Lord does not condone thievery, he does use the thief as an, as an illustration or, or as an example to emphasize how when he comes again, it's going to be very different than how he came in judgment against the Jewish people. It's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like a thief in the night. And he also says it's going to be like a master returning home after a long journey. It's going to be like a master who leaves some slaves in charge of his home. And when he returns, he finds one doing what is right and one doing what is wrong. It's going to be like a master returning from a long trip and he finds a slave doing the things that he's supposed to do. He's, he's living a good life. He's being holy. He's being, he's being godly. He's being faithful to his duties. And so he's going to be rewarded. But on the other hand, when he returns home, he's also going to find an unfaithful slave. He's going to find a lazy slave. He's going to find a slave that is careless and is living with the mentality of, well, my master's not going to return anytime soon. You see, like the master who returns home, and he finds a faithful slave and he finds and he also finds an unfaithful slave. That's how it's going to be when the Lord comes back. When the Lord comes back, he's going to find some of his people who have been preparing themselves, who have been living holy and godly and prayerful lives. And he's also going to find a bunch of people who are lazy, who are being sinful, who are doing unholy things and living with an attitude of, the master hasn't come back yet, and so I guess that means he won't come back anytime soon. Maybe he won't even come back at all. Jesus says that when he comes again, it's not going to be like the destruction of Jerusalem where there are going to be a bunch of signs that give you a heads up to the events about to take place. No, it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like a master returning home. From a long journey, and he's going to find a faithful slave and an unfaithful slave. The point is, it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. We do not know when it is going to occur. That is how Jesus describes his, his second coming in Matthew chapter 24. And he actually continues with that same idea going into Matthew 25. When you read Matthew 25 on Friday, pay close attention to two particular parables that Jesus gives in that chapter. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. In the parable of the ten virgins, when the bridegroom finally showed up, five of the virgins were prepared. They had enough oil for their lamps to, to greet the bridegroom and enter into the wedding feast. And the other five virgins, they were called unprepared. They, had, they didn't bring enough oil with them. They didn't bring oil with them at all to prepare for the bridegroom's coming. And when they showed up, finally the door was locked. They were unprepared. 
in the case of the parable of the talents, when the master returned home, two of his slaves had done well with their talents. They had been good stewards over the talents the master had given them, but there was one particular slave who had not done well with his talent. He was given just one talent, and he hid it in the ground. He didn't make the talent grow and bring glory to the master. And when the master came home, he caught that slave unprepared, and that slave received the punishment. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents are two parables where the key lesson in those parables is to be prepared. Preparedness. Be prepared for the return of the bridegroom. Be prepared for the return of the master. You don't want to get caught off guard and unprepared whenever he comes again. That's how Jesus describes his second coming. There's a difference in time in comparison to the destruction of Jerusalem, and there's also a difference in scope. There's also a difference in scope. You see, unlike the first 34 verses of Matthew 24, where Jesus deals with an event that is limited to the Jewish people and the destruction of Jerusalem, the second coming of Jesus, the personal return of Jesus, it's not going to be just limited to Jerusalem. It's not going to be just limited to the Jewish people. Instead, the Lord describes it as a global event. He describes it as a universal event. He describes it as an event that's going to impact the whole world. Again, he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. When you think about the, the judgment of God on the world, in the days of Noah, it was a judgment that came on the whole world. It was a global flood. The entire world was impacted by this flood. That's how it's going to be when Jesus comes again. It's going to be just like the days of Noah. It is going to be a global event. It is also going to be an event that impacts all nations. Not just the Jewish people, but all nations. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25 and verse 31, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, notice how the angels are also going to be coming with Jesus when he, when he returns. Then he's going to sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations, notice that all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed at my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice how Jesus says that when he comes again, when he personally returns it's not going to be an event that just impacts one nation, the Jewish people. It's not going to be an event that just impacts one particular city. Instead, it's going to impact the whole world, and it's going to impact all nations. It's going to impact white people, black people, Hispanic people, Indian people, Asian people, all nations of people, all people created by God will be impacted by the personal return of Jesus. 
all nations will be gathered before him and they're going to be judged when he comes again. The Apostle Peter also makes reference to, to, this, to this global event in his writings in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse number 9, 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count, count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, heat and the earth, the earth, not just Jerusalem, the earth and its works will be burned up. You know, it is interesting how in 2 Peter, as Peter talks about the return of Jesus, he also contrasted by mentioning the event of Noah, whereas Jesus compares it to the event of Noah in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus compares it to the global flood of Noah's day in that chapter. Here in 2 Peter 3, Peter actually contrasted with that event. He contrasts it this way. He says in the prior verses that unlike that event where God wiped out all mankind with water, with a flood, when the Lord comes again, it's not going to be with water. Instead, it's going to be with fire. That's what we read in those verses. It's going to be an event where God destroys all flesh, not with water, but with fire. And what God does at this time, he's going to totally do away with the planet. He's not going to just hit the reset button on the planet like he did in the days of Noah, but he's going to destroy all flesh with fire. He's going to wipe out the planet, wipe out the universe. Time and space will be no more. Peter says that when the Lord comes again, and he calls it the day of the Lord there, he says it's going to be like a thief. That's language Jesus used. That's language Paul used. It's going to be like a thief. There's that same illustration, and it's going to be an event for the whole world. All the planet Earth will be destroyed with fire. There is a difference in time in comparison to the destruction of Jerusalem. And there's also a difference in scope in comparison or in contrast to the destruction of Jerusalem. But here's a third and final thing I want to share with you in this video. When contrasting the personal return of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus also says that there's also going to be a difference in the type of judgment that is rendered. There will also be a difference in the type of judgment that will be rendered. You see, when the Lord comes back again, the judgment that's going to come from God will not just be God taking the light or the identity away from a, one particular nation, like he did with the destruction of Jerusalem. It's not going to be God just destroying a very popular religious city. It's not going to be God just allowing a couple of million lives to be taken. It's not going to be like that when the Lord comes back. Instead, the kind of judgment that will take place when the Lord personally returns 
will be a total separation of the righteous and the wicked. It will be a total separation of the righteous and the wicked. This is one of the main things that the Lord seems to be emphasizing both in Matthew 24 and in Matthew chapter 25. Let's go back to the illustration of Noah. Remember, Jesus says that his, that his return, his personal return is going to be like the days of Noah. If, if you recall, the ark that God had Noah build was a vessel that God not only used to preserve Noah and his family's lives, but it was also a vessel God used to separate the righteous from the wicked. Remember, only the righteous, only eight righteous people were found on the earth at that time, and those eight righteous people were separated from the wicked by being in the ark. They were in the ark of God. God used that ark to not only preserve Noah and his family, but to also separate them from the rest of the world, the wicked people in the world at that time. Just like in the days of Noah, when Jesus comes back, it will be a total separation of the righteous and the wicked. And that is also the point that he is driving at when he talks about those in the field and those grinding at the mill in Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 through 41. In Matthew 24, and let's just go back there in our Bibles. Matthew 24 and verse number 40. And remember, we're in the context now of the second coming of Jesus. We're after verse 36. We're talking about an event that no one knows when it's going to take place, only the Father. And in verse number 40, he says, Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Now, contrary to what some religious folks suggest, in those two verses, the Lord is not talking about a rapture. He's not talking about a rapture. In other words, he's not referring to some, to some event where God just starts mysteriously snatching his people away from the earth prior to several years of tribulation. Now, that is part of premillennial doctrine, but that's a false doctrine. That is not what Jesus is, is teaching there in those verses. In fact, the concept of a rapture, or the word even rapture, is not even found in the Bible. Search your Bible from top to bottom, and you'll never even find the word rapture in the Scriptures. It is a totally made-up doctrine. Rapture, the concept of rapture, the word rapture is not found anywhere in the scripture. In fact, that concept or that doctrine stands in direct contradiction to what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and in verse number 16, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, when describing the second coming of Jesus... He says, for the Lord himself, the Lord himself, this is a personal return. The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice how the resurrection does not occur until the Lord comes back. Then, verse 17, we, 
that is God's people who are alive when the Lord comes back, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always, always be with the Lord. Notice how none of God's people, whether dead or alive, will see the Lord or meet the Lord in the air until he comes again. It's not going to be some rapture where God's people start mysteriously disappearing all across the globe prior to the return of Jesus. No, here Paul says that God's people will not meet the Lord in the air, whether dead or alive, until he comes again. Until he personally comes again. And so Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41 are not contradicting what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Instead, what Jesus is probably alluding to in the context of Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41, what Jesus is probably alluding to there is the separation, the separation of people when the Lord comes back. Just like two men in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. And just like two women grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left, in that same way, that's how the righteous and the wicked will be separated when the Lord comes again. There's going to be a separation of the righteous and the wicked that takes place. In fact, the Lord continues with this in verses 45 through 51 of the chapter. Remember the two slaves. There's the faithful slave, there's the unfaithful slave. When the master returns, the faithful slave, the slave that was doing the things that he was supposed to be doing, while the master was away, he's rewarded, he's blessed. But by contrast, the unfaithful slave, who was lazy, who was doing wicked things, who was hanging out with wicked people and abusing others, he's punished. He's cast into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the master returned, once the faithful slave had one destination and the unfaithful slave had a different destination. The Lord continues with this thought in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, when talking about the ten virgins. When you read that chapter on Friday, you're going to see that when the bridegroom finally arrived, Five of the virgins were allowed to enter into the wedding feast because they had made the necessary preparations to receive the bridegroom, while the five foolish virgins, they were locked out. They were separated from the faithful. There was a separation that took place once the bridegroom showed up in the parable of the ten virgins and then in the parable of the talents. There are three servants or slaves that are mentioned there. One servant received five talents. Another servant received, received four talents. Or two talents, I'm sorry. He turned them into four talents. And then the other slave in the parable received just one talent. And so you have one slave that received five talents, one that received two talents, one that received one talent. And when the master showed up, the, the servant who had five talents had doubled his talents. 
He then had 10 talents. He increased his talents. The slave that had two talents increased his, his number to four talents. He had made good use of his two talents. But the slave that had one talent, he went and hid his talent in the ground. He didn't double it. He didn't do anything with it. He hid it because he was afraid. And the master was very upset with him. He was very upset that he didn't at least put his talent in the bank so he could draw some interest. And so when you have those three slaves that are mentioned in that parable, two of them were found pleasing to the master and they were blessed. They were blessed. But the other slave who was not a good student of his talent, he was cast out. He was cast out into a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was separated from the other two from the other two servants. And then, when Jesus continues in verses 31 through 46 of Matthew 25, he describes what I believe to be a judgment day scene, and he says that when he comes again, he's going to separate the righteous from the wicked, and there he's being very clear about what he's talking about. He says that when he comes again with his angels, He's going to separate the righteous from the wicked like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to have the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. They're going to be separated. And the sheep, those who have been faithful to God, those who have been good stewards of their talents, those who have done good works, who have helped others, who've been generous and kind to others and lived a life that walked in the footsteps of Jesus, those who have lived lives like that, they're going to be told to come into heaven, to come and inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But by contrast, the goats, those on the other side of the spectrum, those who did not walk in the footsteps of Jesus, those who are unfaithful and lazy and who did not do good to others and help others and were kind and generous to others, those people are going to be told to go in the opposite direction. Instead of being told to come into heaven, they're going to be told to go into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal punishment. That's what Jesus says in verse number 46. In verse 46 of Matthew 25, Jesus says that when he comes again, the righteous and the wicked will be separated forever. You see, right now on this earth and even in the church, the righteous and the wicked kind of mingle together. They're together, but when the Lord comes back, he's going to separate them once and for all. He will separate the wheat from the tares. The righteous will go to heaven to be with God forever, while the wicked will go to hell forever. There will be a separation of the righteous and the wicked forever when the Lord comes back. There's going to be a difference in the kind of judgment that will be rendered when the Lord comes back. Unlike what you find with the destruction of Jerusalem, when the Lord comes back, it is going to be a global judgment. It is going to be a situation where all nations will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and the faithful and the unfaithful will be forever separated. Now, those are the contrast. Those are the contrast that we find when we study what Jesus says about the destruction of Jerusalem in verses 4 through 34 of Matthew 24. 
And when we consider what he says about his personal return in verse number 36 of Matthew 24, all the way through Matthew 25. Jesus says there's going to be a difference when you contrast or compare those two events. There's going to be a difference in time. Unlike the destruction of Jerusalem, no one knows when the Lord is going to come back. It's going to be like a thief in the night. There's going to be a difference in scope. It's not going to be a judgment that's just going to impact one city or one nation of people. Instead, it's going to impact the whole planet and all nations. And there's going to be a difference in judgment, the kind of judgment that is rendered. It won't just be a judgment on one nation. Instead, it is going to be a judgment on all nations and the righteous and the wicked will be separated forever. That's the two things that I am convinced that the Lord is talking about in Matthew 24 and in chapter 25. And so with those things being said, as we conclude these studies, I want to conclude by asking you two practical questions. And the first question is, if the Lord came back today and he could come back today, remember the Bible says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. If he came back today, as you were even watching this video right now, which group would you be in? Which group would you be in? Would you be in the group of the sheep or in the group of the goats? Would you be in the group that's inside the ark and the safety of God or would you be in the group that's outside the ark? Would you be in the group of servants that, have, that has made good use of the talents God has given you? Or would you be a foolish slave that has been lazy and careless with the talents God has given you? Which group would you be in if the Lord came back? Would you be in the faithful group or the unfaithful? Would you be in the merciful group or the unmerciful group? Would you be in the group that's ready to go to heaven or the group that is unfortunately going to spend an eternity in hell? The fact of the matter is, my dear friends, all of us at this moment are in, are in one or the other group. I'm in one or the, or the other group, and you're in one or the other group. And we know which group we're in right now. God knows which group we're in. And if we are, for some reason, in the wrong group, if we are a goat instead of a sheep, it's time to start doing the things that are necessary to, be, to become a sheep and get into the group that Jesus died for us to be in. Which group are you in? And then finally, are you prepared? If the Lord came back on this very day, would you be prepared to receive him? Would you be glad to see him? Would you be excited? Because you are confident that when you stand before him, everything's going to be okay. That concludes our studies in Matthew 24. I hope those studies will help you as you read those two chapters on Thursday and Friday if you're a member of the Monte Vista Church of Christ. Until we begin our regular classes the first week of July, over the next couple of weeks, I plan on presenting some lessons that have to do with some of the specific places that Jesus traveled and preached in that we can read about in the Gospels. I'm going to have four lessons on the places in which Jesus literally walked. And I hope you'll join me for those studies. I think they will encourage you. 
And for those of you who are members of the Monte Vista Church, I think they will certainly help you in your Bible reading. But thank you so much for studying with me over the last few minutes.